0: We have been in this House of Lies series since uh, sometime late August, and this is the very last week of it. We're going to look at one final lie. But let me step back just a moment and cover the premise we're looking at. The premise of all this is that every one of us, every human being, in fact, longs to live a life that is deeply satisfying, that that is rich and fulfilling and well-grounded and sustainable. And we've said that the only way that that's done is by actually living our lives based upon truth. If we live our lives based upon truth, then we can find that kind of life. But if we live our lives based upon lies, it's just a matter of time until our lives will fall, just like a house of cards. And so we've spent time going through these, and and if you've missed part of it or need a, a refresher on it, the first three weeks were crucial, because in those first three weeks, we talked about how how we find truth? God has given us truth, both in His Word, in the Bible, and in Jesus. That's where we find our grounding in all truth. All truth is found there. And so, having said that, um, this is the final lie we'll look at. The lie is this: is that church is optional. Church is optional. This is how it usually develops in one's life. There's there's someone in the church that reaches out to an individual, maybe. Uh, this is a friend that reaches out or a family member or a classmate that reaches out or a coworker reaches out and, and begins to build a relationship and at some point begins to talk about Jesus. And usually in the process, that person invites this other individual to the church and they attend some and they hear more about Jesus. And somewhere along the line, they come to a point of, of trusting their life to Jesus. And they experience what is written in Hebrews 10 at the deepest level. There's this authentic faith that launches. And in Hebrews 10, 10, there's this really concise summary that says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. God's will is that we would be made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. And in this really tight summation, it's saying that that when someone trusts Jesus, Every single sin is forgiven. And for the first time in this person's life, there's actually a barrier blown down between them and God, and no more, no more problems in the way of, of relationship, and there's this wide open door to God. And the author of Hebrews goes on to write about this down in verse 19. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus He's not just writing about heaven someday. He's saying we can enter the presence of God boldly right now because of Jesus' forgiveness. There's no sin in the way. We can boldly enter in. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So someone experiences that and it is stunning good news. They realize there's been a paradigm shift of their entire life and they can't wait till the next Sunday when the church gathers again to come back and and have this encounter and hear more about Jesus and so on and so forth. But as time begins to unfold... As the Sundays begin to unfold, the excitement begins to linger, and I'll talk later about why that's true. It begins to linger and until at some point they've come to the conclusion that there really are these two big factors about life, two big factors about Jesus. One is that, that we trust him and we're forgiven. All sins wash away. There's this relationship, and then someday we get heaven. It's like these two end posts of life. You trust him, you get heaven. Everything else in between will just... Fill the spaces, fill the spaces. And and somewhere, whether it's thought out clearly or not, the reality is they have begun to believe this lie that church is optional. It really doesn't matter that much. You can take it or leave it. If you feel like it, great. If you don't, great. If there's a crisis, great. If not, you're okay. There's this, this sense of there are these two end posts and just fill in the gaps. And in my experience, has been so different than that. And in a moment, you'll see what the difference is and how this would apply to all of us. In, In my experience, I was reading Psalm 84 recently, and I realized this is how I've always felt from that day in 1984, trusting Jesus is how I've always felt. And in Psalm 84, it's Old Testament time, so there's a little difference you have to translate to our times now. But the temple was what the psalmist is writing about, and there's this parallel from the temple to the church today. And so this, this person is writing and speak, thinking of the temple and he's saying, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. I cry and weep like a baby for the courts of the Lord. I, I yearn to be in here. Our kids were always crying. I cried in church, always. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallows build her nest and raises her young, at a place near your altar. you saying, even the least of these creatures, they find their home here. They, they come here. They fly here. The Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house. And when I trusted Christ, that's how I felt. And now I'm 20, now I'm 31 years and running, and and I still feel that way. And it's important for you to know if you've not, been introduced to my history to all the first seven years of that. I worked in the oil business and because of corporate moves, we were in four very different churches in those seven years. We were in a in a big church, we were in a very small church, we were in a very alive church, we were in a barely alive church, in four very different expressions of the church. And through the entire seven year run I had this sense of I I can't wait until Sunday. And 31 years in running when I'm not working here and we're traveling someplace, my sense as Sunday is approaching is I can't wait for Sunday. And and this is why my experience has been different. It has nothing to do with me being more or less spiritual or it's nothing about me. This is why my experience has been different. There are two things in Hebrews 10. There are two more things in Hebrews 10 that are said there that somewhere by the grace of God, I actually came to realize and deeply believe. And that belief has increased through the years. And one of them in Hebrews 10, for which I've lost my place. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 10, verse 14. It's talking about Jesus' sacrifice. It says, For by that one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He made perfect. In other words, he's forgiven every sin. Every sin is washed away. Those who are being made holy. There's this process that is being described in those, that brief term there. Is that there's this transformation that God's intention is to be reality for us. I think of Romans 8.29. In Romans 8.29 it says that, that God's intention is we actually become like Jesus. We actually become transformed to be like him, to, to think as he thinks about life and people in the world and the Father God, and actually to feel as he feels about people and circumstances in the Father God, to actually be, be transformed, be made like Jesus. That's his intent. It's not trust Jesus in heaven someday. It's trust Jesus in this radical, in my case, it has to be, it's got to be very, very radical in process transformation to be like Jesus. And I think about Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, when, when you follow Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you. When the Spirit is living in you, this is the outcome of your life. Increasingly, your life is filled with a heart of love and filled with joy and filled with peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And that's just a short list. That's not the whole list. That's all that Paul writes about there. That the intent is there would be this, this radical change of our being. Of who we are. And then in Hebrews 10. Then in, again very concisely it says how and where this change takes place. In verse 24 it says let us. Let us. Speaking to Christ's followers. Speaking to the church. Let us. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another to, especially now that the day of the Lord is returning, is drawing near. Encourage each other. Let us, let us encourage each other to these acts of love and good works. Let us, let us not fail together as the church. And here's the, here's the fundamental truth. The lie is that church is optional. Here's the fundamental truth is that the church is the epicenter of all godly change. The church is the very epicenter of all godly change that happens in someone's life. You're familiar with earthquakes? Uh, Thank God they don't happen here. It happens to those folks in California that, um, you know, they've got issues of that. But you, you know what happens in an earthquake. You know that an earthquake, especially if it's large, it reshapes the landscape. The landscape can look so very different, but but I don't know if you've thought this out, but, but the reshaping of the landscape, it all happens because of what happens at the very epicenter. What happens at the epicenter is what changes the landscape, and it's that way in a person's life, what changes our lives and reshapes and remakes our lives to be like Jesus is what happens at the very epicenter, what happens at the church. The church is the very epicenter of all godly change that occurs, and, and God works in his church through two things. He works in his church, and now I'm not going to give you a full-blown theology of church. In fact, I'm going to narrow my discussion to what happens in the hour on Sunday. This is what happens in the hour on Sunday. God works, through, works in the church through first through his presence, through his presence. In Matthew 18:20, Jesus says, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am there with you. It seems odd he would say that because he's said many times, he said, I am with you always. There's not a moment that I'm not with you. But for some reason, he's saying, but he's saying, pay attention to this. But when two or three of you gather, get this, I am, I am with you. And he's implying in a different way, in a special way, in a deeper way. I'm always with you, the individual. But two or three or more of you, the church gathers, I am with you in a, in a different, unique, special way. And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, 16, um, Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, Don't you realize that that you are the temple, you are the residence of God? You collectively, he's saying, not just he's not saying just the individual in whom God resides also. He's saying collectively, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And later he's gonna say the Holy Spirit resides in every follower of Jesus. But there's this other layer effect of, but when you're gathered collectively, the Holy Spirit resides in a different way. I was a fairly new follower of Jesus, and there was a Sunday that I was so struck by what the pastor was saying. It was like he was talking just to me, like one of those laser beams, almost embarrassing. You wonder if people are noticing and looking at you, that kind of thing, and I I was so impacted. It was just what I needed to hear and I was at small group, Marie and I were at small group later that week, and one of the other small group folks said, man, it was as though he was speaking to me, it was just laser toward me. And I said, oh, I'm, so, I'm so glad it was you too, because I thought it was just for me. And then the shock came, and when the person described what they heard was different than what I heard, and it, it made me step back for a moment and realize, whoa, I, that, how did that happen? there was something powerful going on. It was as though it was just God and this mouthpiece of God in me, but yet there was this God and his mouthpiece in somebody else and, and they got a different part of the message. And as time has passed now, I've had occasions where, where I've been on the teaching receiving end. I've been on the receiving end of a teaching and I've found two or three other people and all of us have, have gotten something different, laser in the teaching. Why? Because... God's presence is here in that way. I'd been a pastor for a short while, and after one of the services, after one of the messages, this person came up to me, this man came up to me, and he gave me the deal. It's as though I was the only one there. You were teaching, you were speaking right to me. And, and I said, great, what was it that you got? And he, he proceeds to tell me something, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, he must have walked here from another church because I didn't even talk about that. And so, in my stupidity, I told him that. I said, you're mistaken because I didn't talk about that. And then he begins to, he thinks he's quoting me about a subject, and I was sure I hadn't talked about that, and so I, stupidly, I tried to talk him out of whatever he had heard. And later that night, I was reflecting upon it, and it's as though God was showing up and and saying, Rick, do you realize that what he heard was, was very biblical? Did you get the sense that he was deeply penetrated by his biblical truth? Did you get the sense that maybe he actually needed that? And did you get the sense that I could speak to him with using words that you didn't even use? And as the years have unfolded, I've had that happen a number of times. And I don't even challenge anyone anymore. If it's biblical and they think God spoke to them, I just go, "Yay, God, you know, go do it. (laughs) How does it happen? God works in the church through his presence. His presence, he's here in, in worship I hope, I hope you felt this presence in the opening 15 minutes, I hope. In those first seven years of following Jesus in those four different churches, there was one of those churches that, that did worship in a way that was, it was a stretch for me more so. It was just personal preference, but they were doing uh, worship with old, old hymns and choir robes, which is highly effective for some folks, but it's just not the style I respond to best. It's a stretch for me. But what made it even more of a stretch was... Was that they didn't do it well at all. It just simply wasn't done well. And what shocked me was, I don't think there was a Sunday, but what I didn't encounter God in the worship. It wasn't done with that much talent, it wasn't done in a style that I could receive. I don't think there was a Sunday, but what I didn't meet the God of the universe in that worship. Last Sunday, we were celebrating communion as a church. And when I took the bread and dipped it in the cup, I, I was remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. And I expected that. But later as I was sitting down, I was praying for a while and I opened my eyes and looked up. And there was a stream of people that also had trusted Jesus. And found new life and were being transformed by him. There was this stream that seemed to go on and on and on. And in that stream, in this community, I felt the presence of God more profoundly. It's great if it's for me, and I know that, but it's even better to be reminded it's it's for everyone who will say yes to him. The presence of God so many times. Someone's come to me, and I know have come to some of you because you've told me the same story. Someone's come to me and said, this is my first time here. And I, I really like it, and, and, and then here's the phrase that catches me. They'll often say, there's something different here, and I can't put my finger on it. It's not like work. Or it's not like school. It's not like the neighborhood gang. There's something different. And often I'll say, I, I don't want to freak you out, <laughs> but that's the presence of God. God shows up when his church gathers. God actually shows up. Which means right now, the Spirit of God is here right now. And his intention is to meet you. To meet you, personally meet you. And chances are, in some cases, it is to comfort some in this room. For the Spirit of God to give deep comfort. Chances are, for some in this room, it's, it's to convict. Out of deep love, to convict and say, there needs to be a shift, change, change. Chances are there's some that, that his message is, is one of encouragement, to lift up and to encourage. Chances are for many of us it's to guide, to give us clear guidance. Chances are for some of this room it's to provide healing in this very service. But, but God is here. He's present here. He always is in a different way than when you and I are at home or at work or at school in the neighborhood in a different way. He's here in this unique, powerful way. From the moment you drive on campus of any church that claims Jesus to the moment you drive off, he's present in this profound way. He is right now in this place. God works in his church through his presence. He works in his church through his people. The Hebrews 24, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says that, doesn't it? It says, look for ways to encourage each other to acts of love and service to others. I like, don't, don't fail to gather together. You need this. This is where the life change comes. Don't fail to do that. In the early days for Marie and me, there was a greeter at the church we were attending. And this greeter remembered our names. And in some very subtle but profound way, the fact he would remember our names conveyed some subtle message that we mattered. And maybe, maybe we mattered to God just by remembering our names. There was a Sunday or two or three of a crisis in our life. And there was this little group of people. That prayed for us and invited God into the crisis for us and gave us this great hope of the reality that, that God was hearing those prayers and God would act. He would act in some capacity in His wisdom toward those prayers. There was an occasion where we brought our first child home from the hospital, and there was this group of people from the church that showed up and brought meals to us, brought food to us, and there was this, there was this sense of, of love. And by that point in time, it's very clear. It wasn't just their love generated from themselves. It was out of the very epicenter of love. Jesus and his church flowing through them. We felt the love of God in that through his people. There was a Sunday that Marie and I had gotten to know this one man pretty well. And we had such deep respect for him. So like Jesus. And so service is done and we seek him out and we, we just tell him, We say, we're so grateful for you because we see Jesus in you. We see you becoming so much like him. And the man said, he was very polite. And he said, he appreciated that very much. It meant a lot to hear that. But this I'll never forget. He looked at us and said, you have to remember this. There's a good chance somewhere down the road, I will fail you. But Jesus never will. I will, in a human being will, but Jesus will never fail you. And what God was doing was through his church, through his people in the church, he was pointing us back to him, reminding us it's not about great people. It's not about following any person. It's about following Jesus, following God the Son. The church, God used the church to bring us, to point us continually to Jesus. Then there was a Sunday that there was some dialogue going on. It was before or after service, and this one other man who we expected a lot was the dialogue was about the impact of church on our lives. It was all very positive in that small circle talking. And this one man said, I I come, I come to church because I am so impacted by it. I'm deeply impacted by it. But that's only half the reason I come. And that caught my attention. At that point I thought, why else would you come? isn't that enough? And he went on to say the, the other half of the reason is because I just assume On every given Sunday, there's someone there that needs me to be the conduit of God through. Every given Sunday, I just assume there's somebody there. And God has already pre-chosen me to be the conduit of God's love to that person. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. And there are people here that feel that way and believe that. This fall, a few weeks back, service was done. I talked with some people down front. I was done with that. Um, and I looked over, and there were people here praying for others, and I, it lifted my heart. And then I happened to scan across the crowd. Most of the crowd was gone, and there were three or four other pockets of people in circles praying. And I thought, that's just the church being the church. It's, it's this uh, conduit of God's love and grace and whatever else is needed being poured through His people in the church. This fall, several weeks back, one here who has this vision was in the lobby and met a man who was exiting out. They had a brief conversation, and the man happened to mention that he hadn't been to church for a long, long time. But he was here that given day, and the conversation was brief, and the man who had not been in church exited, headed to the parking lot. This other guy had this, just this sense that the Holy Spirit was saying he, he looked like he was burdened. Go find him. And so this guy exits the lobby too, and starts looking for the guy. Sees his back. Finally catches up with this guy. As this guy is now about to exit the parking lot, and he interrupts the guy and says, "Hey, we just met, but it seems like there's something bothering you. Can I help anything?" And there was this brief exchange, and, and the man just said, "My son is in the hospital. He's at Clear Lake Regional, and and he's on the somehow. There's a question asked, and he's on the seventh floor, and." And then he just quickly left to go back to the hospital. This man's standing there and he senses God say, now go to the hospital too. The only problem is he never got the man's name. And all he knows is that the son's at Clear Lake Regional on the seventh floor. And so this man finds his wife and says to his wife, this is the prompting of God. And they drive to Clear Lake Regional. They go to the seventh floor. They walk the entire seventh floor. I to find this man, and his family and his son. And they pray for him and they pray for the son and the family has since said they were so deeply touched by the love of God. Why? Because, because God works in the church through his people. This is the X factor that changes everything about Sunday morning, about the hour on Sunday morning. It, it, it's this. It's come looking to meet God. Come looking Come looking actually for God to meet you. Come looking for God to meet you. And come looking for God to use you. Come with your eyes and mind wide open, wide open. Drive onto the parking lot and, and just asking, Where's God going to meet me this morning? Maybe it'll be the entire run. Maybe somehow he'll meet me even in the parking lot before I come in. Maybe he'll be in the lobby. He'll encounter me there. Maybe it will be in worship time. Maybe through teaching. Maybe in conversation after. But come looking, anticipating. Because here's the truth. He is here in this profound way when the church gathers. He is here, and he is here to meet you. Every single Sunday, all you have to do is look for him. Look for God to meet you. And then look for God to use you because the reality is he works through his people. And it may be as simple as, as a warm smile to someone. It may be as simple as a handshake or a hug. It may be as simple as a silent prayer that that other person never even hears. It may be a prayer for them. It may be listening to them. It may be some care, some compassion to them. But every single Sunday... You should just assume there's someone that's going to be here, and God's already pre-chosen you to be the one that will be the conduit of his love for that person. Here's the lie, is that church is optional. I was doing the math. This is not an exaggeration. I, I know now a few hundred people who have believed that lie. And somewhere along the way, they began to drift away from church, and they come from time to time And it's not just this church, but they've drifted from the entire church, any church, and they come from time to time. And I've had follow up with at least a few hundred of them. And in every single case, they have not grown closer to God, but farther from God. In every single case. Not closer, but farther. In every single case, they have not become more like Jesus, but less like Jesus. In every single case. Now, I'm not saying that that will be true universally. But out of at least a few hundred that I know, that's happened every single time. So here's the truth, is that the church is the epicenter of all godly change, of all godly change. In Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13, it says this, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Okay, they're going to flourish and grow strong. Why? How? For they are Transplanted into the Lord's own house, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They're transplanted into the church where the roots grow deep, where they grow deep, and, and then they, therefore they will flourish. They will grow strong. So I want to challenge you, all of you, wherever you have come at this before, I want to challenge all of you to this, this six week experiment, okay? So it's going to be six Sundays and Christmas Eve. Okay, the next six Sundays and then Christmas Eve, that's the extent of the experiment. The experiment is this. Every single time, every single Sunday and Christmas Eve, then come looking for God to meet you. Forefront of your mind, come looking for God to meet you. And come looking for God to use you. When you show up, every person you see, ask God, is it it that person? Is it that person? Is it that person? Come looking for God to meet you. Come looking for God to use you. That is the X factor which changes everything about church. We're going to celebrate communion as we did last week. And there's a part of communion that is it's clearly, most profoundly, it's this, it's this communication with God. It's this reminder of Jesus' love for us, his profound love for us. But when you're not doing it alone, there's this community aspect of it. There's this church aspect of it where it's not just you it's being reminded of God's profound love for you and the life change he gives every Christ follower. It's about this collective experience of it's not only me, it's all of these others as well. There's this, there's this community aspect of it as well. So we're going to celebrate communion, and I would urge you to remember first, remember what he's done for you in this broken bread and this blood red cup. Remember what he's done for you if you're a follower of Jesus. But... Before and after you celebrate that, look around you and, and let God touch you profoundly by how many others there are that have found life in Jesus as well. And then toward the end of communion, we'll begin to sing together what, what to me is the most uh, profound expression of surrender to Jesus that I've ever experienced. And a song called, I Surrender All My Life, it was written by, by Mark Hale, and, and it's God working through his church to give a gift to the church. But as that begins uh, during communion, then uh, join in, and we, the church, will lift up this new declaration of surrender to Jesus.